0: Text for the sermon this morning is Psalm 119, the verses 17 through 24, which is the third section of Psalm 119, verse 17 through 24, and in this law, in this uh, psalm, the poet speaks very highly about the law of our God. And he uses quite a few different words to refer to the law of God. And you'll notice in our text, each verse has also a reverence to God's word, God's statutes, God's commandments. Let's read verses 17 through 24. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander, from your commandments take away from me scorn and contempt for i have kept your testimonies even though princes sit plotting against me your servant will meditate on your statutes your testimonies are my delight they are my counselors as far our text Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Psalm 119, is a psalm of praise to the Lord who gives us the most wonderful, perfect law. It is a psalm of praise because living with this Lord is life is freedom. And in order to live with him, he has given us this law. As Paul says in Galatians, for freedom he has set us free. And therefore the law is the law that directs us in our freedom. It teaches us how to live as those set free by God's grace in a way that Reflects the glory of our God. It's it's a teaching song. Psalm 119 is not the statement of someone who says, "Look how good I am." Psalm 119 is the Spirit wanting to teach us, put a words on our lips and our mouths. This is how you work with God's law in your life of thankfulness. Now, this, after, this morning we have the third section, the third stanza as our text. In the first two stanzas, the poet has expressed his deep love for the Lord and for God's law. Verse 5 I keep your statutes, I want to keep them. Young man, too, can only live a pure life, a life dedicated to God, when it's guarded according to that word and with his whole heart he seeks God's law. And, and as you go through Psalm 119, uh, you get to know the poet, some of the personal aspects also of his life and especially in our section this morning, we learn something that has not been shown to us in the previous two sections and that is that he Sings in the midst of hostility. He speaks about scorn, contempt, people plotting against him. So we're dealing with someone who, who has struggles in life and difficulties, and in a way also a very realistic picture, isn't it? That when you want to navigate through life as a redeemed child of God you will meet challenges. And it doesn't get any easier as time goes on, does it? So there is a new element in this section, the opposition that he is facing. But that opposition does not take him further away from God's law. On the contrary, it makes him all the more eager to keep God's law. And he then realizes how much he needs God's law and God's word. And that's why I took verse 18 as the theme for the sermon this morning. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The prayer to open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of God's law. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant. That means you have to think here of a master-servant relationship where the servant is asking the master to deal bountifully with him. That means how the master treats him, the servant, how he deals with his servant, it has to be bountifully, that means generous, no lack of gifts. He asked his master to give him plenty of gifts. Now you may think, well, is that the right thing of a servant to ask? Doesn't it sound somewhat demanding? Here a servant says to the master, deal bountifully with your servant. It doesn't even say, please. Or could you please consider? Sounds of a demanding. Can a servant say this to his master? Can we say this to our master? Because, of course, the servant here is a child of God, and the master is God himself. Can we come to God and say, Lord, deal bountifully with us, your servants. Yes, the Spirit puts this on our lips. And in fact, that word servant helps us understand it. Because it shows that you're not dealing here with people who don't know each other, are strangers to each other, but here are two who are connected. The master and the servant have a bond. There's a relationship where there are promises made and where there are obligations From both sides. The master has made promises and he has obligations. And the servant has made promises and he has obligations. We call that a covenant. And so when this servant comes to his master, he says, deal bountifully with your servant. Then he is appealing to that bond, that relationship, and the promises that his master has made. And he may do that. You may do that. Hold God to what he has promised to you. And why? Why does he ask, deal bountifully with your servant? Look at verse 17. And it's one of the basic lessons here. He says, so that I may live. So that I may live. This master and living with this master, that is true life. And this servant realizes, I can only live, I can only have fullness of life when my master pours out his gifts in a bountiful way upon me. And why does he want to live? Also, that is indicated in verse 17. Why does he want to live? I want to live, he says, to keep your word. That's the purpose of his life. That's what a servant is all about, to obey the words of the master. So why is he concerned about these gifts? Because he wants to be a good servant. He's not out for for his own things, for self-realization, personal things and favorites. No, he says, I I ask that you deal with me according to your promises so that I can keep my promise to you and show that I am devoted to you because he is also under covenant obligation to serve his master. It's a beautiful description, verse 17, of how the relationship between God and us works. Where we may appeal to his promises And we also ask that we may keep ours. What is life all about? It is to serve Him according to His Word. That gives true joy and fulfillment. However, in order to do this, in order to be able to keep the Word of the Master and so live, He needs something. And that is verse 18. He says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is a most wonderful gift. It is God's self-revelation where he has revealed the truth. What is true, what is not true. And, and in God's word, we find amazing things. But in order to see them, you need your eyes opened, the eyes of your heart to understand why that is so beautiful, why that is so wondrous. And when your eyes are open to that, then you stand amazed at the wisdom of God. The more you study the Word of God and you see how it is all connected, the more amazed you are at how wondrously God has put it all together. So he asked for that. Open my eyes that I may see it because by himself he cannot. He needs the blessings of his master to see this. Now, there's something added here because within the Bible, The expression, wondrous things, not only refers to who God is and what he does, but in particular refers to his work of redemption. We sang about that, Psalm 86. Lord supreme in might and glory, glorious are your works of wonder. And if you look, remember Psalm 86 that we sang, it's in the context of help, I'm needy, I'm poor, I need your help so the wondrous things of God is that He, in His love and mercy, comes to help people who are in need. It is His work of redemption, Psalm 78, that we sing. had to be taught to the next generation the mighty deeds of God. Was it that He led His people out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land? That He rescues His people. So not only is the Bible an amazing book, That shows us the wisdom of God. The Bible, from the beginning to the end, is the book that shows us God's amazing work of redemption. When you heard the Ten Commandments this morning, God's law, that's how He began. I am the Lord who took you out of the land of Egypt, and now you're mine. I set you free. Our eyes have to be open to this so that when you read the Bible, when you talk about God's Word, when you read it at a table, when you teach it and listen to it in school, you come to see the wondrous things of God. Because not everybody who picks up a Bible sees that. The human eye, the human person by him or herself cannot see this. And when some People look at the law and and God's word. They may not think it's filled with wonderful things. They may think it's outdated. comes from times past. No longer applicable today. What we need, each one of us, is to have our eyes opened so that we see, as we read and study and think about God's word, who God is. His glory, His power. Every page in the Bible shows it. His wonders. So brothers and sisters, ask for that. If you want to live in a way that pleases your master, if you want to have fulfillment in life as a servant of this God, you need to pray for this. Because don't expect that you will understand God's word without His prayer. If you have trouble... Understanding the Bible. Go on your knees and ask this. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold these wonderful things. So Paul, as we noticed, but Paul also prayed for the church at Ephesus. He says, I constantly pray for you. And this is what I'm praying. That the eyes of your heart be enlightened, be opened. So that you see the wonders of your inheritance and the power of your Savior. So pray for it. Pray for it every Lord's Day before you come to church. Before you come here and sit here. So Lord, open my eyes. And the Lord by His Spirit will do that. As we read too from John. What the Lord says, I will send my spirit, and he will bring to you, make it clear to you. He promised that, and therefore ask it. And, and we need this, we will move on to verse 19. Why do we have to ask for this? Because he says, we are sojourners. I am a sojourner on the earth. A sojourner is, is a traveler, but it also has here the element of being a refugee. But you're no longer in your fixed place. You're on the move. You have no place to call home. No fixed address. And that is what describes who we are world in which we live, it is not our permanent home. We are not of this world, the Lord Jesus said. So we travel through a world that has a different outlook, has a different understanding, a different wisdom, thinks of marvelous things in a way different way than God shows to us. And that's why we need to have our eyes opened. So that we can travel, sojourn through this world, and live to the glory of our God, heading toward the destination that He has prepared for us. But as you travel, you need to know the direction, because the path can be winding, the path can be narrow, there are dangers on this path. So what do you need? You need the word. And that's why your eyes have to be open so you can travel on that path to the glory. And brothers and sisters, how important this is, isn't it? We live in a world that is so inviting and says to you, give up your traveling. Life is here. We have a good life. You have everything that you need and want. Material blessings, whatever you want, we can give to you. Why keep hoping on something that is coming? It's inviting, it's very persuasive. It comes to us in so many ways visual, audible. That's the journey that we and our children are making a journey filled with temptations. And therefore, it's all the more important that we hold to his word. And that's where verse 20, he's so passionate, he sees the dangers of this journey. He says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Not consumed with trying to keep up with this world, what it offers, but consumed, very passionate, with longing for your rules. Brothers and sisters, the only one who could sing this perfectly and completely is the one who fulfilled Psalm 119, our Lord Jesus Christ, consumed with longing for God's rules. And he did it in your place. And now, his spirit puts these words on your lips. So let's examine ourselves. Do you do you find in your life too the passion to keep his laws, his commandments? Do you see that as a goal in your life? That we are consumed to keep his word and long for his word. Now this first part of some our text expresses this this longing, this this need. The second part of our text makes us aware of why this is so important. Not only because we're sojourners, there's something more to this journey that we are traveling. And that is verse 21 and following. And that is that new element that comes into Psalm 119, that is the element of Opposition, hostility. Verse 21, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones, who wander from your commandments. So not everyone that we meet and live with keep God's commandment. There are also those who wander from it. They're called insolent. And insolent here means haughty, boastful, filled with pride, Self-sufficient. The insolent does not need God. He says, my life is fine. Thank you very much. I have what I need. Why would I need God? Human pride, which we all have by nature. But, but these insolent, these uh, cursed ones, yes, they are under God's curse. These boastful people, they don't want to be bound to God. Isn't that a realistic picture of the world in which we live? Surrounded by people who take pride in living without God and are very open about it, are very blatant about it. And don't come to them with God's word about what sexuality is about and what life is about, when it begins and when it ends. They're not interested. They want to be their own gods. That's the world in which we live. The insolent who wander from your commandments. But that's not all. Verse 22. It has consequences for God's children. For those who want to keep God's law, who are consumed with longing for these laws. Because as a result, they face scorn and contempt. Verse 22, take away from me scorn and contempt for I have kept your testimonies. So this is scorn and contempt that he faces because he wants to hold to this word of God the insolent are not satisfied with just having their own opinion. If you don't agree with them and affirm what they want to have affirmed, they're going to keep scorn upon you. You're cancelled. They want you to support them. And the easiest thing is to give in, isn't it? Or just to say, oh well... It also sh- it seems to indicate in verse 23 that those who are behind this scorn and contempt have positions of authority, are in leadership positions. Even though princes sit plotting against me. So you're not dealing here with this person here and there. These are people who have power, and they plot. So, this believer, this child of God, who wants to show that he loves God's law, he is treated with contempt and scorn, and there's plots against him. Isn't that realistic? Isn't that exactly what is happening in our world, in our culture? Isn't that what the Lord Jesus said, as we read from John 15 and 16? When you want to stand up for God's word, God's truth, what are you going to meet in this world? You may be looked down upon, as your co workers or your fellow students think, and say to you, You still believe in that? It's outdated, it's old fashioned. You may be sneered at, mocked at, because you stand for what the God of life believes is life. You may be labeled an extremist, or worse, when you defend God's holiness when it comes to sexuality. You may be bypassed in promotions because of your values. You see, Psalm 119 is quite realistic. It's also telling us, when you keep God's law and want to live from it, you will meet this. That is the antithesis that the Lord already put between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent in the very beginning. We meet it. Our children deal with it doesn't get any easier. So what do you do then in response? Well, that's the last part of our text. The three things that the Spirit lays out for us. How to deal with this scorn, with this opposition. And in a way, what the poet does he comes right back to the beginning of our stanza how do you deal with this well the first thing he says is you have to meditate on god's statutes your servant will meditate on your statutes the word meditate is used quite often in psalm 119 in fact within the bible it's most often used in this and and typically it is used also in other parts in the bible about the law of god so meditating here is not kind of an introspection looking at yourself meditating is to hold god's law up there and to put your life in that light and to say how does my life stand up against that light of god is my life in agreement with that light that word of god and how can i bring my life closer to that. How can I let that light penetrate into my life? That is meditating. It's not being busy with yourself. Being and and the author here too is not obsessed with his own problems, this this scorn that he's facing. But he says, no, Lord help me to to always think about your law and how that indeed can can determine everything that I do. And take the time to think about it, because that's meditating does Involve that. It's, it's thinking about it. Your Bible study. Your devotions. That you reflect on. How does God's word. How does God's law. Teach us what to do. And then our lives indeed in agreement with that. That's the first. That you meditate. On God's statutes. And that you take the time also with your children. To do that. Around the table. Secondly, it says, Your testimonies are my delight. So, where is this scorn and the opposition is meant to take this person away from the word of God? It has the opposite result. He said, They are my delight. I may be out of tune with what this world thinks is normal, but my delight is what God has revealed. And delight here means also it is something enjoyable. So when you talk about God's law and how God rules your life, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It is a matter of delighting. Because you know of who set you free from the bondage to sin. So when you teach your children too about God's law and keeping God's law, bring out and show in your life it is a delight. Yes, it may require sacrifices, painful sacrifices, but it is a delight to keep God's law. So you meditate on that law of God, that word of God. You take delight in them, the laws of our God. And thirdly, It says, you use them as counselors. Counselors. That means imparting wisdom, helping us understand how to do things. Also practical things. How to work with it. What kind of decisions do I have to make? When I deal with hardship, when I deal with... The scorn that comes my way when I make decisions about my career and relationships. They are your counselors. They they show you, they, they give you insight and direction. And you follow those insights. So those are the three things that that, that the how it lays out when you face this opposition and when you meet this scorn, that's what you need to do: meditate on God's statutes, take delight in His testimony, and and use them as counselors. Practical application of the Word in your daily life, and brothers and sisters, that is what we all need to do, and certainly also as parents. When it comes to our children. So let's work with this. And, and let's start together. With putting this prayer on our lips. Lord open our eyes. That I may see. The beautiful things. The wonderful things. Of your name. As you have revealed them in your word. Help me to take time. To meditate on that word. To take delight in you. Because Delighting in the Word means delighting in Christ. Fixing your eyes on the Word means fixing your eyes on Him who is the Word, Jesus Christ. And He is the one who gave us His Counselor, the Holy Spirit. True life is only with Him. He is the life and the truth. And the delight that He gives to you is the beginning of eternal joy. Amen.